Welcome to the One Church Home podcast. This podcast is directly tied to our weekly teachings. If OCH isn't your home church, we encourage you to get plugged into your local body. We pray the sermon blesses you as we press into the Word of God together. Every week I like to kind of share a story. Typically I try to be vulnerable and most of the time it's just sharing something dumb I've done in my life. If you have any dumb stories, feel free to open up next week. (laughs) And I'll let you. And I had this experience a while back, you know, as a, as a, a, a father of a son and a handicapped son, a special needs son, you find yourself constantly in, I won't call it a battle, but more like a street fight with the government and the, the, the insurance companies about what they're going to cover and not cover. And so there's always this kind of ongoing thing that we're kind of fighting for, and it's just happening in the background, and it's typically surrounding, you know, What's going to be, you know, what, what, what services or what, you know, all this stuff. And, and you know, as a pastor, you obviously know the intricate details of, uh, you know, state-run health care. Uh, and so I find myself being the champion for shepherd's care a lot of the time. And so I'm, I'm the one who gets on the horn and I'm like, you know, I know about nothing. And so I get on the phone with these people and they tell me some law or whatever. And I'm like, well, so, you know, like I... I don't know what to say. And and I find myself oftentimes just running to the end of my rope and going like, I don't know how else to fight this battle. I don't know what to do. And and we've had a a group, you know, we we say small groups here are so important. I'm not exempt from that. I I gather in small groups of people too. And, And we had this ridiculous small group full of people that all should have been leading their own group, but I was kind of hoarding them at my house on Sunday nights and and it was great. Um obviously. Uh, but it was awesome. And they would, uh, they, they were there. They walked through the process with us. And this is not something that's just one time. But we were in the middle of this fight with, I think it was care or something about how Shepherd's services were going to get, you know, he wasn't going to be able to get uh, uh, his, his occupational and like physical therapy anymore. And so we were going through it. And we had been kind of at the end of our rope and, and we had been praying. And finally, this sweet lady in my small group just goes, hey, I'd like to help if you'd let me help. And I go, yeah, obviously, you probably don't know as much as I do about this, but sure, give it your best shot, you know, the arrogance of a preacher man. And so the next day, literally, I get a phone call from the state of Tennessee. They said, your case has been brought to the highest level and we are now appointing you a liaison from the state of Tennessee that's going to walk you through every single aspect of this. And she's going to guarantee to get this problem solved. He will have all of his needs met in the next week or so. Now, this is the, the arrogance of old pastor here. I'm like, wow, all my hard work paid off. And... The Lord knew that I thought that in my soul. And so he finished, she finished the conversation by saying, I don't know how you know the woman you know, but she holds such influence in the state of Tennessee that one phone call from her opened up all the doors for your son. You didn't have to say it like that. 
And what it reminded me, and it was one of those moments, like I had no idea who was sitting in my living room the whole time. I had no clue who was in my life, in my circle, in my corner, on my team that could fix the problem I had right then and right there with one phone call. I labored and I worked and I worked and I labored and I, and I had confusing phone calls and I acted like I knew more than I did and I got nowhere. And with one phone call, the doors fly open. How many of us are in that same experience as it pertains to our relationship with God himself? We don't know who's sitting in our living room. We don't have an awareness for how big he is, how, how grand he is, how strong he is, how dear he is, how faithful he is, how willing he is to get in the mud with you and help navigate the situation. And we don't even think to ask because we're not sure who he really is. You see, my issue is I, I knew who she was, but I didn't know who she was. You know what I'm saying? I didn't have like, I didn't know like she was a big deal in that world. Y'all, that's like, this is a story of us and God. Like we don't realize how big our God really is, how great he is and how, how available he is to get down and work through the issues. There is nothing you are facing that God can't fix. There's nothing that we're going through that God can't meet us in. There's nowhere that you're gonna go, no, no, no distance you're gonna run from him that he's not willing to come and get you. And so as we have stepped into this series called The Great, it's not because we just needed, well, I guess we're gonna have to do a Names of God series, so what do we... My heart jumps out of my chest to go, I want people to realize who's sitting right in front of you who this God really is and how majestic and wonderful and beautiful and and strong and, and, and powerful he is so that in your time of need, you know where to turn to. And so we've explored his names throughout the scripture in an effort to to unveil to us who our God is and what he's really all about. And we've talked about this this first name that he gave us, the first name that he shared with us is I am and, and that's Yahweh and that's Lord and, and his first name is inviting us to lordship where he rules and reigns in and through our life. We've talked about him being Jehovah Jireh, the, the provider of our life, that, that when we are aligned in his ways that he'll provide our needs and that seems crazy and yet it's true. We've talked about him being Jehovah Rapha, the healer. And it's like you you realize that God's healing is happening and yet will happen. And that there's a process to healing where he gives gifts to see things like we've never seen before. And then we arrive at this name today, a name that is a, as a preacher, you, you're embarrassed to realize like how little work I've done on this name. And I, and I get to it and I'm like, oh yeah, I've heard about that. And it's one of those moments where you're like, but God, just tell me again for their sake, not for me, but what, what does that mean? It, it, it's a bit of a, a foreign name. It's, it's not something we say a lot, but Jehovah Nisi is the name we're talking about today. 
and it is that the Lord is our banner or our refuge. And you kind of say it and you go, cool. What's a banner? And we realize that this name is something that, at least for me, that for me, when I started to dig into this this week, when I started to, 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 to press into the word, to, to let the word get into me, I realized, man, this is a name we need now more than ever. That he is our banner and our refuge. We're gonna learn about it today because the person that this name is resonating for today is the person who feels like the deck is stacked against him. Does anybody feel like there's just an onslaught that won't stop in your life, that there's an unusual pressure and, and in, in, you know, outward pressing down that happens on your life that's, that's unusual? Is there anybody who goes, man, I just, I feel like it's all against me. For that person, Jehovah Nisi is the thing you need to hear more than anything else. And it comes from and rooted in Exodus chapter 17, verses eight through 16. It says, now Amalek came out and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joseph, choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. He's a good old boy. Today I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up on the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. And so they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it and Aaron and Hur supported his hands. One on one side, and the other on the other. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek under the heavens. And Moses built an altar and called its name Jehovah Nisi. For he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. I'd like for you now to raise your hands up as high as you can in the air and hold them there to the end of the sermon. <laughs> All right, you don't have to do it. Just thought you had some faith. It's okay. We'll get there. It's a process. Who are the uh, Amalekites? Amalekites, why do I talk so funny? Who are the Amalekites? The people that had come out to war with the people of God, the, the people who, who showed up to, to fight with Israel. Well, a quick history lesson will tell you that uh, Amalek was the grandson of Esau, the byproduct of Abraham's kind of bad approach to fulfilling God's destiny for his life. And his descendants organized themselves in a, into a very early kind of national nomadic group. They lived by basically traveling around as nomads and, and attacking people groups. They would pillage and pl plunder. They would take up and, and, and they, would, they would attack kind of out in the desert. The Amalekites were actually known for domesticating the camel and using its swiftness, which I think is hilarious. I don't, never thought of a camel being swift, but... 
I'm wrong. To surprise attack their enemy. Not only did the Amalekites attack Israel in Rephidim, but later in Horam. And when the Israelites had been driven out from the southern Canaan where they were on the run in their foolish attempt to enter the promised land in spite of God's command through Moses, they couldn't in Romans chapter 14. So this is something that's happening, happening repeatedly. This is something that's, that's um, basically you've got the people of God, the Israelites, and then you have the Amalekites. And you have the Amalekites are, are a warring people. They're a fighting people. They are, uh, uh, there is a chip on their shoulder. They are out in the desert and they are after the Israelite people. They want nothing more than to completely blot out the, the, the Israeli people. They want to destroy them because they see them as inheriting that which they should have. Do you see the references to this story? It sounds a lot like someone else that wants to kill, steal, and destroy because he thought he should have the throne in heaven. There is this re reality that the Amalekites Amalekites, I don't know why that's so hard for me. They are the people that are embodying a satanic oppression on the people of God. The Amalekites have traveled far south, way farther than normal to get at them. They, they, they came intentionally to hunt down the Israelite people. They come down to, to get them. They're, they're further than they normally would go because they recognize that the, is, is, uh, the Israelites are, are far from a population center. They're, 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 they're tired. They're on the move. They're trying to go into the promise. And, and the Amalekites come down and they kind of swoop in and they know that they are relatively defenseless. And the fact that this ensuing encounter, this ensuing encounter with the uh, Israelite people ended the way it ended tells you something. You see, Moses had to keep his hands up and, and, and that was the experience where, where when the hands were up and the rod was in the air, they would start to win because when, when it was happening in the natural, they were getting beat. There was no question about it. They were outmanned, outmatched, and out, outmaneuvered. They were getting beat in that battle and it was only by the spirit of God that they could have victory in it. But the people of God are led by Moses and Joshua and they, they recognize it and they see it and, and they realize like, hey, we're gonna have to do something here. We're gonna have to, have to identify that as the people of God, sometimes the only thing left to do is fight. There is a, is a, is a misnomer that happens when when we, we, you know, of course, we're gonna, when we're gonna talk about shouting our feet with peace, that we're gonna talk about, uh, about, about the fact that we're not supposed to, you know, we live by the sword, we'll die by the sword. Like, yes. And then you have stories like this where, where there is a, a people literally hell-bent on killing and destroying your way of life and the, the people of God's only response is to stand up and fight. And so he says What? Choose some men and go fight with that boy. Like, think about the, the craziness of that. He says, hey, go fight him. Go out there and do something. You're gonna go in the natural. I'm going in the supernatural. But why did they fight? I believe it's because Moses knew there was no other options. These were a people that came with a specific purpose of hunting them down in a vulnerable situation. They couldn't run away because their armor won't allow it. 
They have nothing covering their backside, which we'll talk about in a minute. In a minute. But a question we have to ask is, what is a worthy fight for us today? You see, beloved, in today's culture, we have to ask this question. The church has grown silent, weak, confused, and sheepish. C.S. Lewis said it like this, we have become men without chest, meeting a people with no center. Evil has indeed taken over the world. Children are being slaughtered in and out of the womb now. Agendas are condoning, chemically castrating children in the name of love. Churches are calling that love. They're calling evil good and good evil. It is undoubtedly time to fight. There is no other way. There's nothing else to do. We can't run from this. We can't cower down. We can't put our head in the sand and sing kumbaya and hope that church dinner is good. We've got to stand up for something and, and, and we've got to believe that the banner of God is over us and that the battle will be victorious. We weren't made to sit back in, a, in, in just some room and, well, I hope they figure it out out there. You know, it's not. 75 years ago, the church was the greatest influence in the world. The church was the greatest impact. They didn't even plan Little League games on Wednesday night because they had a fear of the church. I don't mean a fear like they thought we were gonna go beat them up. I mean like a, there was a reverence to it. And it's time to get the reverence back. But we get the reverence back by being something that actually makes a difference. We don't get to yell and scream and hope and holler and guilt and shame everybody. You know why nobody wants to go to church? Because the church hasn't shown up. But when a church shows up and a people set ablaze for the cause of Christ, and all of a sudden we, we start to show the world who we are by serving, providing, leading, and helping. But when we stop off outsourcing every single thing, you know, it's like, well, I need marital help. Well, go see somebody over there. I, I need my kids need help. Go over there. Go over there. How about the church starts doing something? How about we? Remember, the church isn't me. It's we. You. You, 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 all of us gathering together to meet the needs of the people inside the body and outside the body, we start to become something wholly different. And all of a sudden the world starts going, hey, you seem to have this right. What am I gonna do? How do we get through this? And we say, we know the way and his name is Jesus. So it's time for a worthy fight, but what this story tells us is there's lots of worthy fights, but you have to have a kingdom plan. You have to take it with a spiritual and a, and a kingdom strategy that's gonna, that's gonna transcend what, what we understand and what logic says. Remember, this fight is, it's simple. You have a superior army with better tactics, with more men, with, with better vision. They knew what they were coming to do. They knew exactly how to do it. They knew where to take them, when to take them, how to take them, and they were gonna take them. 
They were gonna win this fight. Everything about it seemed like a no-brainer. But no-brainers are no match for God. So what strategy did they use? They started, for starters, they did something in the natural and they trusted fully in the supernatural. You see, it's, it's easy for us to do one or the other. You know, we see a need. I had a, a, a sweet talk with a, a guy after first service and he said, you know, this is really, tell me something. He's had a thing where he's been convicted that the Lord's been telling him about, hey, you're in this Bible study, but it's just a bunch of circular conversation. It's time to get these guys and, and, and challenge them to go out and make a difference. Pray with your wife, pray with your kids, do something more than just sit in a room and drink coffee and talk about how bad everything is. And he said, but I don't know how to say it because I don't want them to think it's in my own strength and I don't want them to think it's, it's my own deal. And it's like, we, we, could, we hear this kind of big language of fight and you go, that could be the fight. What would the world do with 25 men mobilized for the cause of Christ? Who knows? D.L. Moody said the world's yet to see one man wholly given to the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. What would he do with 25? What if this man's exhortation to his Bible study is the thing that sets on fire their soul in a way that they get on mission for God. And so you could see this as, well, it's only fighting in these huge arenas about massive global issues. It's that, and it's this, and it's everything in between. It's our willingness to be obedient, to do what God said to do when he says to do it. And so we all of a sudden, we realize we're gonna need a kingdom plan. That kingdom plan is twofold. It has to be. It has to be both in the natural. Somebody's gotta show up and say something, but it's gotta be supernatural, covered by the anointing of God's hand and blessing in the battle. And so it can't be one or the other. Some of us aren't being mad because we're going, man, I've been... I've been praying for years for the school system. I've been praying that the, the spirit of God would move. And the question you gotta ask yourself, have you ever gone to a meeting? Because if you pray, but you don't come to play, you could miss it. I'm not saying that prayer is not powerful, but oftentimes when we couple prayer in the supernatural with courage in the natural, God shows up and things start to shift. When we start to get courageous enough to put our reputations on the line, to say that which is true, and that's anointed by the favor and blessing of God, all of a sudden things start to happen and we see doors open, seas part, mountains fall, and valleys rise up. We start to see the supernatural happen with a kingdom plan where the natural is used, but the supernatural is trusted. You see, Joshua selected men and took them to a battlefield. That actually happened. They actually had swords and they were going out to fight for real. Like sometimes I think we read this and we go, oh, you know, that must be, it's just the sword of the spirit. <laughs> they were all out there with their Bibles. No, these were real big swords with some, some tough dudes that lived in the desert. And he said, get out there, go fight them. Meanwhile, trust that I'm going up on the hill and God's gonna do this. But like people, you know, when it says that people were winning and losing, that means people were dying. 
That means people gave their life for this. That means that story is not just that they were up there like slapping at each other and like they pushed them back a little bit and they came back. It's like, no, the swords were swung. It says by the edge of the sword, they defeated the Amalekites. Amalekites. (laughs) But they couldn't run. They couldn't flee. They couldn't take off for the hills. They couldn't say, this is for another day. We're gonna run away. We're gonna, we're gonna go fast and make sure God wants to fight. No, they, they stepped up and they fought. But if they run, they weren't covered. But they had to understand what the real battle was happening. That's why I love the scripture because it comes to life to us and it puts, puts some meat on the bone, so to speak. But, but does this mean for us, as we start to think about what are worthy battles for us to fight? What's a kingdom plan for us to fight them? We have to remember, our fight is not against what? Flesh and blood. Ephesians 6, 10 through 17 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Now listen to this. People don't put on armor to go to sleep. I mean, a CPAP maybe, but... It wasn't funny. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. If you see those who embody the the spiritual opposition in our world, if you see them as your enemy, you will miss this fight. You see, your enemy is not the people who embody the principles. It is the principalities that are, that are in, 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 in animating the people. And so we don't hate people. We're not gonna go out, it's like, like the job of the Christian isn't like, well, we're fed up, let's charge. You know, like, it's not our fight. It's not how we fight. We fight against powers and principalities. This is just, Stuff, that's the stuff. So this fight is is a kingdom plan, recognizing our real enemy, the one who is opposing us. It is principalities, powers against darkness of this age and against spiritual host of wickedness in heavenly places, which is our inheritance according to Ephesians chapter one. So then you see, beloved, that that when we understand, while it may look physical, it may sound political, Make no mistake, we are at war in the spiritual. Moses and Joshua were very aware of that and they fought in that way in a two-pronged attack. And Paul goes on to show us that the battle armor that is ours to fight with is a spiritual armor. But it doesn't mean just because it's spiritual, we don't have to actually put it on. This is where it gets mysterious, it gets a bit confusing because I can understand if you said, hey, I need to go fight that person. That's clear, like that's obvious. I know exactly what I have to do. I know where I need to be, I know where he is. But when you say you're fighting spiritual things, when you say you're in this, in this warfare of spiritual principalities and, and powers and you go, I don't under, fully understand what that looks like. But it says, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore. 
and gird up your waist with truth. Notice it doesn't say your truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. I love it because it's saying put, put righteousness over your heart. Because if your agenda is in the way, there's gonna be a problem. If the posture of your heart is to defeat them for some alternative reason than the righteousness of God, you are fundamentally mistaken and your fight is on you. But if you want the banner of God to preside over your fight, then let your heart be covered in righteousness. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Peace? Armor? War? What? And above all, take the shield of faith with which you can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation. Let that guard your mind that you are saved and free forever. So whatever happens to you here is of no result because that is yours forever. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You see, there's no protection there's nothing covering you if you run from the battle, but forward facing the battle with, with armor that doesn't always make sense, with peace in war, we can stand therefore. Why? Because the banner of God is our refuge. You know why we win? Why, we, why we're gonna be victorious? Because we have a, a worthy fight and a kingdom plan and a heavenly banner. We have a banner over us that is, is unique and different and supernatural. They are, were, and very, were very aware when they took the battlefield in a courageous fight with a bigger opponent against all odds, the only option they had was to trust that God was gonna do his part. They had to be willing to sacrifice. They had to be willing to go out there to, to even be willing to lose their life for the sake of the cause, knowing that God was in control and that their salvation was secure and that righteousness and peace and truth defined them and held them up. So what strategy should we use? It should be a combination of courage to show up in the flesh and battle in the spirit. We can't fight behind a keyboard alone. We can't run and hide. We must face the battle in front of us with the heavenly banner and the refuge over us. And so it begs this question, what is a banner and what does it mean to be the banner of God? The, the most you know, direct thing, you know, we don't walk around with banners that much. You know, you might see one at like, welcome to church, but... We don't do banners here all the time. You know, it's not like I would drive in with a banner over my car like this is Ian's car. I try to hide that. I don't, road rage. It doesn't. <laughs> it's not just a flag, it's more. Oftentimes it was a, a created piece of wood or metal, often eight to 12 feet wide, six to eight feet tall. I mean, you're talking heavy, big, bulky banner. It was a large piece of, of, of wood or metal and engraven on it would be the image of the people. 
So, so we might be, you know, there's the Ganeri family and they're, 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 they're coming out to battle and they want to be marked by their, by their golden doodle on, you know, so that's going to be their precious dog. Is there, so they're the golden doodle people. So on their giant banner is the golden doodle. So you know when Dustin's coming across the battlefield, the golden doodle is before him. That's a banner. And these were a nomadic people. These, these people lived in, the, in and out of the desert. So they would see far across desert. They would see way across the land and they were going out to war. They wanted to know, hey, who all's here? Which I'm like, RG, we're gonna tell them, I guess. But so all of a sudden they would raise banners and there might be an army coming from the east and the west and they're all converging on this moment. And you go, okay, there's the golden doodle. I know Ganeri's here. Who else is coming? All right, Hutchins back there. All right, what, I don't even know what kind of dog you have, but Frank is back there and Frank is coming. And so, so you see the different battle arrays are forming and the banners are over them. Now we're saying it's just a dog, but that, that picture, that image represents all of their history, all of their context, all of the wins and losses and the legacy of their life. It's far more than just a picture. You see, it would invoke something inside of you when you saw the golden doodle of the Ganeri clan, you'd go, they've been through the fight. I heard about what they did at this place and that. I heard about what, what happened when those people fought against these people. And so you would start to, their legacy would unfold right before them with the banner that represents them. I think about the own, our, our own American flag and I go, man, what does the American flag mean to me? I've got a huge one in my office at, it embodies hope. It's something that I'm proud of. I'm proud to be American. I, I love America. I think it's the greatest country in the world. And I think it's something that, that should be protected and honored and respected. And so I have an a old American flag uh, encased in my, in, my, in my, it's now in my uh, living room, but it was in my office when we had offices. Someday we'll have them again. And and I love America. I, lo I love to see the flag. It means something to me as somebody who's grown up in a pretty relatively comfortable life. I didn't have to fight for that flag, but I know people did. And so I honor that flag because I honor the people who fought for me so I could live in the land of the free. Now, for the men who fought for that flag, that flag means something different. It means something that I sacrificed for. Not me, but them, the veterans, the, the men who have, have, have spilled blood, given everything, sacrificed it all, some the greatest sacrifice. For a veteran, they, they see the flag and it means something different to them. So, so again, two people that both love it, but it means something different to each of us. Now imagine you're in some bunker in Baghdad. You're in some bunker somewhere and you are a, a, an enemy of America and you see an Apache helicopter fly into the air with the American flag stamped on the side of it. That flag means something wholly different to him. That flag to that man in that moment means that's an army full of men and women willing to die for their country. It represents fights from ages ago 
ages when, when this, this country would fight against tyranny, when this country would fight against oppression, when this country would stand in the gap for those who couldn't fight for themselves, that flag on that helicopter means something totally different to that man. And that's Jehovah Nissi. Jehovah Nissi is the flag, the banner over the people of God on the battlefield of God, symbolizing that to the opposing armies of God. That when we step on the battlefield to fight a holy fight, to when we step up to, to, to tell the truth in the midst of a world that is opposing us against people that are more organized, there's more of them, there's more to, 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 to oppose us. When everything is going against us, when we stand for the truth of God, the banner of God imposes fear and paralyzes the enemies of God because they can't stand against him. And so all of a sudden we start to go, man, it doesn't make sense. They're bigger than I am. There's more of them than I am. They have more access. There's more, there's more communication. They're better in every way. It's coming in upon us. The, the agendas of the world are trying to be, kind of take us out. And yet we get to stand there for. Because God called us, we cannot be prevailed against. When the banner of God is that which is over us and the enemies of God see that, all of a sudden things start to change and Jehovah Nisi becomes real in our soul. So what defines you in battle? What defines me? Is it my job? Is it the resources that I've accrued? Is it my role of a husband or that of a wife? Is it the amount of services I've attended or, or things I've worked for, things I've done? Am I leaning on my achievements to define me in battle or am I trusting in the banner of God and the banner of God alone? Because I'm here to tell you, all of it won't cut it on the battlefield that we're going on to. Acts chapter 19, verses 13 and 16 say this. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves. Let me just be clear. Don't take it upon yourself. To call on the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, but they said it this way, we exercise you by the Jesus of whom Paul preaches. Not good. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest who did so, and the evil spirits answered and said to them, that's a bad day. <laughs> Jesus, I know. Paul, I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit leapt on them, overpowered them, prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. You see, church, I don't, this isn't about casting stones or but has anybody felt like lately the church has looked a little overpowered, defeated, naked, and wounded? Am I alone? Why is that? It's because they've gone to battle without the banner. 
because they went to battle and we've, we've stepped into battlefields. We've said the name of Jesus. We've flippantly written songs and done things and, 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 and you know, made it all about a show, made it all about a thing, made it all about a gathering, made it all about a number. And all of a sudden we got whooped in the battlefield and we wondered what happened. Why is the church defeated and wounded and naked and ashamed? What's, what's happening in the church today? We've lost our banner and it's time to get the banner back. We're not gonna be defined by our, come on. We're not gonna be defined by, our, by the show. We're not gonna be defined by the stuff. I mean, okay, we're gonna build a building. So what? It's a building, a resource, a boat to launch into the deep and do whatever God calls us to do. We're not gonna be people who think that we have some influence because we have followers, because we have so, wait, what? The only thing that matters is obedience to do what God has said to do. And so we do the next thing he's called us to. And then we do the next thing he's called us to. And we trust that when he calls us to step into courage onto the battlefield to fight a real and present danger, that he will be our refuge and that he will be the banner over our life. And so we step into this and we realize that this isn't complicated. This isn't something that we have to, you know, like pray a certain way and like hold your head over here and like do this wave with your hands. Like there's no, this isn't, God's not hiding. What does it mean that God is our banner? It means that he is our provision and the marker and definer of our life that we're committed and desperate for his will and his ways. And when we surrender to those will and to his will and his ways, when we stand for what he's called us to stand for, when we fight for what he's called us to fight and trust that against all odds, against the face of persecution, we stand and endure. And like Paul, we proclaim Christ and him crucified knowing he is our banner, our refuge, and our strength. And remember this, that he which goes before us is able and capable of winning the battle, reshaping the battlefield. And when we fight a worthy fight with a kingdom plan and a heavenly banner, that word that says we are gonna be more than conquerors starts to become very, very true. And so church, I want to infuse you with courage today to go and do what God's called you to do and be who God's called you to be, recognizing we don't fight against flesh and blood, but we also don't cower back in fear that we show up where we need to show up. We speak the truth in love. We, we mobilize and, 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 and do something different and start to live differently. And we start to show the world who this Jesus is by the way we love one another. And in doing so, the world starts to see a church that's making a difference and they start to wonder what's so different and they start to inquire and we get to point them straight to Jesus. See, God's not done with this world. God's not done with this city, this country. He's just getting started. And the church gets to be the spark that changes everything. 
because the banner over us is Jehovah Nisi now and forever. Amen, somebody? Amen. Father, we need you and we love you and we thank you for these moments we share. We thank you for your word and bringing it to life for us. Thank you that you and only you can speak to the heart. And so Lord, would you use this word to do just that? Would you stir us up and infuse us with courage to do what you've called us to do and be who you've called us to be? Empower us, embrace us in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.